I think you're probably clapping for Leanna still. I don't know. I just told her I don't know how I'm going to follow what you just did. So that's great. Thank you so much, though, for the warm welcome. Uh, it's good to be back. And <clears throat> as Leanna mentioned there at the end, I don't think it's. I don't think I've read it anywhere. Or it's been said necessarily, but the thought came to my mind <clears throat> simply of woe to the congregation that shows up the Sunday after a preacher has been off for a month. Um, you know, I was trying to get some pads for the seats because I have something to say today. Uh, so hopefully you'll enjoy that and, and God will speak to your hearts. So uh, today we are going to just really put a, a, a bow on the Acts series. I, I want, there's just a little bit more left that I wanted to just to touch on in this chapter 18. Um, so if you have your Bibles, turn there. And we're just, it's just a few verses right at the very end, beginning in verse 18. And so we are going to bring this series to an end here, and then next summer we will, I believe, we we're going to finish the book of Acts. I think it's year four. Um, and so we're going to finish the book of Acts next summer. It will be our summer series, and we'll wrap it up, the rest of the book. But today we're going to wrap at chapter 18 and move into some other things the rest of the year. Chapter 18, beginning in verse 18. It says, After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. And again, I want you to just kind of note those two. They show up a lot through here. Um, at, Sin, uh, at Sincrea, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at uh, Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and, and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much, Lord. I thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord, for this chance to be back in the pulpit with family. God, I just am grateful for uh, this congregation and, and for the people here, for those who are joining us online as well. And just thank you, Lord, that we have these next few moments. And so, Lord, I know that many of us, we didn't come in here today with a month off. We came in here with maybe just a few moments of being off. But in these, in these next few moments together, Lord God, I pray that you would help us, Lord, by your spirit to slow ourselves down to be fully present, Lord, in these, in these next uh, few moments together, Lord God, as, as your word is preached, and that, God, you would open our hearts to receive whatever it is that you have for us. And, God, we are grateful for that. So, God, I thank you again just for what you uh, have in store, Lord, for the remainder of this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So, again, as we see here, uh, you know, Paul the Apostle, and he's, he's continuing, he's wrapping up his, his second journey here and um, a lot of stuff kind of going on. One uh, key or one thing that maybe stands out to you, it's, it's just a short phrase, but it says that he had cut his hair for he was under a vow. And that's something like, okay, that's interesting. Um, but what is being referenced here is this, what's called a Nazarite vow. And you can find this back in number six if you want the details of it. 
But what it was is Paul was nearing the end of a completion of this time, of this ceremony that he had entered into, this vow. And it describes the life of someone that has basically set themselves aside to live entirely for God. Again, uh, in those times, to see somebody with short hair like that was not common. And so it made you stand out. And so it would draw the attention. And so people knew that you had done something and you were taking a time to draw close to the Lord. And what's amazing is, again, it wasn't a requirement, obviously, of, of, of Christ and following Christ, but it was something that, that said to others, especially the Jews, that, hey, you know, this is important, and this is what I've done, and it, it probably opened a lot of doors for Paul, too, to share. And so we see this, um, again, that, that Paul's heart was, it wasn't just because he shaved his hair, but his heart was also in a place where it had been set apart for the Lord, and he was walking in that. And so we see that, that he's nearing the end of this, and we see again that he's wrapping things up. And you know, as he said, that I will return to you if, if God wills. And, and you know, people wanted him to stay, but he had set things in place, and, and they had raised up leaders there, and so he needed to move on. And so let's jump back in at verse 24 and, and to the end of the chapter here and get kind of into the meat of where we're headed today. Uh, picking back up in verse 24, it goes on to say, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus." And so again, we see this, this, this person, Apollos, and he shows up quite a bit in Paul's writings. He does some pretty significant things, not in and of himself, but through, through the Lord. And we know we see here, again, that he shows up on the scene, and, and he's an eloquent man, and he's competent in the scriptures. You know, when I, <clears throat> as many of you know, when I was in the military, my job was to work on helicopters, but specifically turbine engines, right? That's what I was trained to do, and that's what I did for many years, and the interesting part was that, you know, I could tear down a turbine engine, I could, you know, troubleshoot, I could put a turbine engine together, and they ran well, by the way, if you were wondering. Um, so I would say that I had a competency in turbine engine repair, right, and mechanics. The thing was, is I really, I mean, I was not trained in the rest of the aircraft. I knew my part of it, and that was kind of what, you know, how they designed it. I didn't have like an overview of the whole aircraft. I just knew engines. And that's when I was called in. If something was more in depth, I would be called in and I would do the repair. But over time, I had to learn, and I did, and I would just being around, but also um, when I had gotten out of the military, you know, they don't hire just specific, <laughs> a turbine engine person necessarily. They typically hire aircraft mechanics. And so you have to gain that knowledge and have an understanding of, of how everything works. And so my competency in turbine engines was complete, but it was incomplete in the sense when it came to the aircraft as a whole. Does that make sense? And so, you know, when I read this with like Apollos, you know, there was nothing wrong. And I mean, it, it says he was an eloquent man competent in the scriptures, right? 
And he even, it even says that he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. And so, again, he had a competency of who Christ was. He had a competency of the scriptures of everything that was written up to that point, obviously. And so he knew in a completeness, in a sense, what he knew, but he did not know what he did not know, right? You still with me? Okay. Because he hadn't been taught yet. You understand? And so I, 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 it, it strikes me that, you know, here Priscilla and Aquila, they, they hear him, and again, this credit is given to him that he knew these things, but there was something that he still needed that he was missing. And so we can say of Apollos that he had, one, received the truth, right? He knew who Jesus was and that he had been taught well. That he had been taught well. He wasn't taught bad doctrine. He wasn't taught something crazy, but that he had been taught well. He knew the scriptures that were available and that he was even sincere in his convictions, right? He was sincere. He simply didn't realize that this, that there was more. He didn't realize that all that he knew, and as wonderful as that was, there was just this, there was more that, that he hadn't quite tapped into yet. And the amazing thing, again, being an eloquent man, and, and again, he had like a stature to him. But the amazing thing is, is that we see very clearly that he was still humble enough to be teachable. I don't know about you, <laughs> but I have to even watch my heart at times that, that I remain teachable in things. How many love to be told that they're wrong or that they're missing something? Raise your hand. I want to see. I want to know. It's not always fun, is it? Even, even if the best intentions, even if the person does it perfectly, even if the person is your spouse, with the most love ever, they approach you and say, honey, your socks that you leave on the floor, they go in the hamper. Let me show you how to do that. But what I'm talking about here is, is, is even something deeper, right? And that's when it gets much harder, isn't it? Or maybe when the pastor's preaching in that message and it's just kind of hitting home pretty good. Or maybe when a, a brother or sister in Christ pulls you aside and says, you know, I'm concerned about this. I see this kind of resurfacing in your life. Can we pray about it? Can I help you? What can we do? Can I help you? Can I come alongside you? I... <laughs> As, pa as a pastor, and, and you know, I've talked to people, and typically, sometimes you just feel like you're running around with a bucket of water, just throwing stuff on fires as best you can, when the whole building's lit up, right? <laughs> but I can tell you this, as a, as a shepherd and as a pastor, my heart is not to, to hurt anybody. My heart is that of love. I mean, that is something I have to say to you in my time away God just like did, he took that sandpaper, right? <laughs> on my heart, on my emotions regarding the congregation. And I have such a tender place for each and every one of you in my heart. And while I am an imperfect person and I make mistakes, 
My hope and my prayer is always that you know how much I love you. And when I do what I do, it's because I believe that God has genuinely put this on my heart, has placed me here for this time and this season and this church's history to speak truth and to come alongside and to see all of you grow and to step in to the fullness of what God has for each of you. I want to tell you this. I care less about what this church does as a whole as what God does for each and every one of you in your lives and your walk with the Lord personally. Because I believe that this church as a whole will do great things as each one of us draws closer to the Lord, as each one of us finds that place where we're allowing the Lord to, to allow us to grow. And so I want to encourage you that, 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 again, if there's places in your heart that have grown callous, maybe you've been in the church a long, long time, and we're kind of some of the ones that are in the most danger because we've been around it for so long. And like, I know this, I've got this down. But I want to encourage you to allow the Lord to have his work. And, you know, and again, and to be teachable. To walk in humility with one another. Got very quiet in here. God has so much more for us, church, his people. My greatest fear, I think, is, is that we're going to get to heaven and we're going we're gonna to look back. And God's going to say, this could, this could have been, this is everything that you, you could have walked in. But we didn't. We'll still be in eternity and we'll still, at that point, we'll all be dancing around and happy and present with our creator. But I think there's also going to be some, some tears and some disappointments that, wow, I could, have, I could have walked in this while I was on this earth. We see here, again, Apollos, and he, we see his, where he is, that he's humble and he's teachable. And, and again, this, this phrase that it says that though he knew only the baptism of John, and while that may seem simple. I want to unpack that for us a little bit because I think it's important that we understand what that is. Because the word, you know, today we use the word baptism often and it generally um, invokes thoughts of identifying and we say it whenever we do baptisms with, with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, right? It's, it's, it's a symbol. It shows what has happened in our spirit, how we've gone down with Christ and come up a new creation. But the thing is, is baptism did not begin with Christians but years even before Christ, the Jews were using baptism in a ritual cleanse, in to ritually uh, cleanse uh, the Gentile proselytes, right? So when Gentiles professed the Lord, God, to be the Lord, they had to, they had to do these ceremonial washings, and it was, it was like a baptism, and, and that's what it was. And that's where it first showed up. And then John the Baptist came along. And so again, so you've got this time and this season that that's where the baptisms were for. Then John the Baptist comes on the scene. John the Baptist, right? Baptist, and he took baptism, and now he's brought it back to the Jews themselves. And it wasn't just for the Gentiles who needed cleansing. So, I mean, think about that for a second, right? You want to talk about being humble and teachable, <laughs> Imagine Jews that have gone all this time, and here's what it is, but now you're saying that I need to 
to be baptized, and, and, and I, don't, I don't need that. I follow all the, these other laws, right? I don't need to do what the Gentiles are doing. <laughs> but we see that many believe John's message, and they were baptized. And so in Matthew chapter 3, we read, then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the, the Jordan, about the Jordan, were going out to him. And this is John that's he's talking about. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan. What? Is it up there? Jordan? No? And it says, confessing their sins. Confessing their sins, right? And this was huge. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands again, but to go along the lines, so who loves to confess their sins before the Lord? Say, so here are all the things that I'm doing wrong. Here's where I'm missing the mark. None of us are naturally inclined like that, but we need to. And, and we see that John's message and what he's bringing is this, this, this thought and this idea of the importance of confession and of our sins. And again, the baptisms that John was performing, they had a specific purpose you see, being baptized by John, it, it demonstrated, right, the recognition of one's sin. So imagine that. You know, you sit there and I sit there quietly on a Sunday morning, maybe, or, or, you know, when we're praying, and we quietly confess these things. Or maybe in the privacy of our own home when no one's around, we confess maybe out loud, but probably mostly in our mind, the sins that we have. But imagine the significance as John the Baptist is out there dunking people under the water, and basically if you walk down, then you're saying for all to see that I'm a sinner, I have sin in my life that I need to confess and I need to be baptized. Weren't you just here yesterday <laughs> and the day before? Do you see how public it was? But do you know how healthy that was? <laughs> because even the people that you thought maybe were up here on this pedestal, and when you saw that person walk down to the water, you're like, wow, even they sin. <laughs> even they make mistakes. And so imagine a, imagine a, a culture, or a, a group of people where, you know what, <laughs> we're sinners. I, I messed up again. And we can still have that today. Not that, again, we understand that the work of the cross is complete, but when we made mistakes, we need to confess that. And even the scripture says to what? To confess one to another, Right? Especially if you've done something to somebody in this room. This would be a good time for an amen. <laughs> it's okay, you don't have to. Because if, it's, if we've offended somebody, if we've done something wrong, then we need to go to that person and say, you know, I'm sorry that I've sinned against you. Will you forgive me? Because a lot of times we'll just go to the Lord, which we need to do that. But we also need to go to a person if it involves someone else. And so again, this is the culture that was being built here. This is the culture that was being not built but created with John and, and, and these baptisms. And again, he said, you know, that it was conveyed that his baptisms were for a specific purpose. Because people recognize their sin. They, they desired a spiritual cleansing. And they committed to follow God's law in an anticipation of what? The Messiah that was coming. Right? Do you see kind of how it's like this, almost like this bridge point between Jesus and what did John say? I mean, uh, yeah, what did John say when he came? He said, well, I go to, I'm the voice that cries in the wilderness, right? He was the one that prepared the way of the Lord. 
And so he's doing that. He's, he's getting people's hearts to this place of understanding this need for repentance, this need to be cleansed. And he's basically setting it up for that right there, for the work of the cross, for Jesus to come and to die and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. In Matthew 3.11, the first part, he says, it says, I baptize you with water for repentance. And here it is, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. And this, again, this is where John took issue with so many of the religious leaders. Do you know why? Do you know where they were? Their robes were not wet. But instead, they stood on the side in pride. And they, would not, they wouldn't, didn't want to tarnish their reputation even though they were probably the greatest defenders. And they stood there boastful and prideful, refusing to go and to enter the water. And then you wonder why they missed Jesus when he came altogether, right? It's because their hearts were hardened and they were far from the Lord. They merely had an appearance of being holy. Verse 7 through 8 in Matthew 3, it says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And so he was saying to them, You have to, there should be, think about that, fruit of repentance, right? They needed to be repenting of their own sin, and they weren't. And it goes on in Matthew 3.11, the, the second part of that. It says that he will baptize you. Jesus will come and will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Spirit, we know, to, to, to have the symbolism of water. And we think about water that cleanses us and refreshes us. But there's also a fire there too, isn't there? <laughs> what is that fire for? It's to burn out the chaff. It's to burn out the things that are of this world. Church. <laughs> I don't know if you've been around the fire or fire at all, but it gets hot when you get close. And it can get very uncomfortable. But God wants to remove those things out of us, that junk, that debris, that stuff we're holding on to. And he wants to refresh us with his spirit. You see, the order is still the same now for us today. It's still repentance, right? And then the Spirit. Then God comes in. For some of you here in this place and some of you watching online today, you're wondering where, where does the Spirit of God that, that this pastor keeps talking about? Or maybe when you were first saved and you first came to the Lord, there was this sweetness of your walk with the Lord and you had this sense of God's presence and relationship with him. And maybe that's growing dry or growing cold. And again, it comes back to this place of repentance. And this is somewhere, church, that I believe we have to start, is in a place of repenting before the Lord for places that we have held on to, things we've held on to, and places we have gone, and junk that we've brought in. We need to be cleansed before the Lord. Otherwise, we're like the Pharisees. We're crying out, Lord, pour your spirit out on us, Lord. Lord, do something new. Do something amazing. Use us. <laughs> All the while, our hands are filthy, and we're stuck in the things of the world, and we're just rolling around in the mud, right? But just like I was growing up, I didn't come in the house dirty. My mom would not let me. 
all muddy, tracking through the house. It didn't happen. I had to clean, get clean. And the great thing is that the Lord has provided a way for that. So verse 26 of Acts chapter 18, going back there, and going back to Apollos, says he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Again, we see that he was humble, that he was teachable. I wish we, we, we had a better snapshot of what happened in that sit down, right? I don't know about you, but I was like, man, I wish I knew what they said, what happened. But I decided today to do something, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break the preacher's code today with you because I love you. And we're going to look at the next chapter of Acts real quick. We're going to come back to this next summer. That's where we're going to start. So I need you to all act surprised and really into the... Because it's not going to be because that you've forgotten, right? Next year? But you got to play along. If I, if I give you a sneak peek right now, is that okay? Okay, I'm going to hold you to it. It's on camera. So we got you it's on record. All right? So this is what we're going to do. We're going to look ahead, and, and we're just going to, I just want to show you what, what happens here. And I think it might give us a glimpse into what might have happened to Apollos. And so we're going to move to Acts chapter 19. And let's just read the first six verses here and check this out. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Listen, and they said no. Okay, so what are they called first? Pop quiz, come on now. Starts with a D, ends with eyeballs. Disciples, right? They're called disciples. So were they followers of Christ? Okay, you're good. That's good, that's true. So they know of Christ. They're following, they're doing the right thing, right? So they're disciples. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? And they said no, we have never heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Does that sound familiar? Paulos, remember Paulos, and he only had part of it? So they had a part, right? They knew something, but they had not heard about the Holy Spirit. And they said, no, we haven't even heard the Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said what? Into John's baptism. Sounds familiar, right? That's where Paulos was. Were they in a wrong place? No. They had walked through. They, they, had, they had done probably the most important thing at that time was the repentance of John's baptism, that what John was doing. They had repented, and they had been washed and brought up, you know, and they had been in that place, and so they're, they're walking in this. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, and that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the what? The Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Do you see what just happened here? <laughs> and again, I'm not, I don't wanna, I'm not gonna say that's what happened earlier with Apollos, but it seems to me that if the Lord met these disciples there, that he would have also met Apollos in that place that there was something more that they had yet to experience, and that was the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming on, on them to do what, by the way? It was not to go home and kick their feet up, was it? 
They are out doing the Lord's work. They're out there spreading the gospel, and they want and need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do so. But even still, they were still walking it out and doing the right thing, but now something else took place. You see, at this point, these disciples had been obedient to the extent that they were aware of. And I see with them, but also with Apollos, that they were not aware of that there was something more. There's something more. And my question to us today, church, and I, I want to ask you this, and I want you just to, to ponder this answer. Don't say it out loud, but I want to ponder this, this answer. In, I want you to ponder in your mind and take it even with you today is that where would we fall today? Where do you fall today? Meaning you might know certain things, but have you experienced all that God has to offer you? Because we don't have an excuse, do we? We have this. We have the, word, we have the whole word of God, don't we? We have it in its, in its entirety. We know and we have the Holy Spirit. But I believe, I'm getting down in there a little bit, but I believe that many of us spend our lives looking like these disciples before they knew. They, before they knew everything, because after they knew the complete truth and the Holy Spirit came upon them, what? They were different. They were changed. And I want to speak to you today. Again, I don't know all of you and exactly where you're at. I know a lot of you, but I don't know everything about you or your story necessarily. But I want to tell you this, that there is, a, there is supposed to be, and again, this is kind of drawing back into my time away, and it's just being reminded of this, there's a sweetness to walking with the Lord. It should be, and I think all of us would agree, it should be something that we long for, to be in God's presence. And when it's not, my question would be, why is it? What have we accepted or what we have, have we allowed into our lives to occupy our time and attention to the point where we would be semi-satisfied with this when we could have the whole buffet? And I want to, church, I know, <laughs> I know, I get it. I got four kids, I've got agendas and schedules and all these things that we've got to meet and the busyness of life and all this stuff that is so important Sometimes I just don't have time for the Lord. We're going to be honest here, right? Because I have more important things to do. I have bought into the lie at times that this society, our society and this world gives me that these things are more important, that I just do not have the time to sit down and to be still before the Lord. But the good news, let me give you some good news, okay? Is the moment that we, we do, the moment that we begin to settle. And like I told you about my time off, like taking those two weeks just to, to rest and to let my physical body rest and my mind just slow down. 
that when I stepped into those moments when I was taking time in those next two weeks of being, being alone with God and just, just being, you know, whatever it was, doing a puzzle or walking along the coast or prayer, I mean, that's something that's important for us to understand. I, I, I came across this recently and it just struck me that, you know, we often say that prayer is just us talking with God, right? True? It's not your question. We say it, and I've said the same thing. It's, it's us communicating with God. But I heard somebody say recently, it's not that. I was like, as a pastor, I'm like, right? I have a chance to be humble, but man, my pride's kicking up right now. <laughs> so no, it's not communication with God. Instead, it's communion with God. And we're not getting into like semantics. We're not like, oh, no, communing with the Lord. You know what communing with the Lord is like? Me and my wife, we can be in the car driving along. We like to do quick trips. Our dates look like grocery shopping most of the time these, these days. That's what we do. You know, you get it where you can. So communion looks like when you're sitting there with your spouse or with somebody, a best friend or, or, or somebody that's close to you, and you can sit there in the car and you don't say a word, but you're together. Right? You know what I'm talking about. I see some of you nodding. You're driving along. You don't have... We don't have to have conversation like the entire time. It's not like, oh man, it's been quiet for a while. I need to figure something to say. What should I say? No, it's you're together. You're communing. Is there talking? Sure. But even when we're not, we're still in communion with one another. And that's how it's supposed to be with God. It's just being together, being aware. And, even, and what you'll find is, is in those moments, even again, like the puzzle, like my soul is just being ministered to. I'm like, I'm not... What, I'm just putting a puzzle together right now, Lord. And it's just like, yeah, but I'm here with you and I enjoy being present. <laughs> Either a bunch of you are going to come back next week or nobody's going to come back. I don't know. You, you're hard, hard to read, but I will start to wrap things up. Start, start to wrap things up. I just want to give you some very, like, just nuts and bolts things. Like, what, what do I want you to leave with this morning? I've given a lot kind of things, and hopefully you've, you've latched onto something. I pray that the Lord has, has challenged you, has spoken to your heart. And maybe, you know, there are some things that maybe you need to deal with, but here's just some things I want us to just leave with, just four things. Number one is awareness. Awareness. Listen to me. I want you to listen very closely. The God of this universe, right, died so, not just so that we could be saved from hell. How many would say amen, thanks for that? That's good that we are saved from hell. Not just so that we could be saved from hell, but so that we could once again walk in sweet fellowship with our creator. And I think a lot of times we are just like, thank you, Lord, for saving me from hell. I need like a box or something. I don't have anything to, you're just gonna have to imagine. You know, it's like, it's like we pull God out of the box. Thank you for saving me from hell. And then we just put him back, put the cover on. I'll come back by a little later. That picture of Adam walking in the cool of the evening with the Lord, that's why God came, that's why God sent his son, that's why he died for you and for me, is so that we can have that fellowship, that we can have that relationship, that we can have that communion 
right? That wasn't even planned. Communion. But tell me the truth now. If we can approach this as like, well, it's the first Sunday of the month. I need to get this checked off my list for the month, and uh, let's get this thing done. Down the hatch, right? This right here, communion, it could have been called bread and juice, right, or wine. It could have been called shipshwana. I don't know. It could have been called anything, right? But it was called communion. Why? Because God wants us to understand the significance of what this is. The body of Christ, the blood of Christ that was broken and shed for us. Why? So that we can have relationship. So we can walk with God. So we can know what it is to walk hand in hand with the creator of this universe. Why can we not get excited about that? Why? This is like a mixture of frustration and excitement right now because I'm talking to myself too. I go to a football game and I'm in a stadium and I'll scream my head off and jump and high five and, you know, and then I come into here and I'm going to sit over here in my corner and like, I love you, Lord. Oh, my hand's too high. Let me get it down. Right? Come on now. This isn't just me having gone on you know, a break and coming back and, oh, he's excited it'll wear off in a few weeks. <laughs> we have to be aware that that is why God died. That is why today we are going to take communion in just a few minutes and I want us to approach this in that, with that same heart, with that heart of understanding, God, this is symbolizing to us. This is reminding us of the significance of the work of the cross, not just so that we are saved from eternal damnation in hell, but so that we can walk with God. Awareness, that's one. I've got three more. The second one, actually I have four. There's a second one, it's humility. How many is proud of their humility in this place? Raise your hand high. A few of you got it. Humility is to admit where we have missed it and settled for something far short than what God intended. It's understanding that, you know what, Pastor Dell, what he's saying today, I don't like it. <laughs> it's a little uncomfortable, but it's true. And I can acknowledge that it's true today, that there's something in me that I need to release and let go of. From there, we move to this, and this is our favorite word of the day, repentance. Repentance. It's hard for a minute, but I promise what comes next is beautiful and worth it. Repent. That's why the cross is beautiful. God didn't just leave us where we were, just that we are guilty of our sin and shame, but he made a way that we can get rid of that, that it can be washed clean, and that's through repentance and trusting the Lord. Then we move from there to desire. When was the last time you desired something? Deeply. It's funny that things will desire, right? I'm a chocolate guy. Yesterday we had a beautiful celebration of Karen Anderson's life, but man, if nothing else, that dessert spread, she would have been the most proud of. The lemon bars and the brownies and all these pastry. You guys missed out if you didn't come. But there was this deep desire for those things, right? But when was the last time you desired the things of the Lord? my question would be, if you don't have this deep desire, why? 
What is it that you've replaced and, and, and substituted? And finally, the last one, our values, right? Love, live, give, what's the last one? Go, right? My point was action, right? That we, act, we have action, we take action, we go. Like Apollos and those disciples, because that when the Spirit of God came on them, when, when, when God empowers us, what is it for? It's not so that we can sit there and have goosebumps on our neck or sit in our seat and you know just feel warm and fuzzy. It's so that we can go do something. And if it's been a while, or maybe you've never sensed God's presence like that, like what we're talking about, probably you need to go and do something. And it's scary. But when you go and you share the gospel with somebody, when you go, just share your story, right? And just see what God does. <laughs> and in that moment, you're, you're gonna sense like God's presence. And then when you walk away from him, you're like, man, I don't know where that came from. I do. <laughs> it came from the Lord. If you wanna walk with the Lord and it's, it's maybe you're in a, a hard season or dry season, go, do something. Do something, try it. Even if the person laughs in your face, even if you feel like you're a failure or something, it didn't go like according to plan, that happens all the time. But trust me, God's spirit will be refreshed and renewed in your life. Amen? Would you please stand? Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you, Lord, this morning. And then God, as we prepare, Lord, to close with this last song, Lord God, of, of how great your love is for us. God, I pray that, that you would truly be walking up and down, Lord, these aisles and these rows, Lord God, that your spirit would truly be touching each person here in this place, be ministering, Lord, to our hearts. And God, where there needs to be conviction, I pray that that is the case. But Lord God, I just thank you that as we bring up, Lord, the things that we struggle with, the sin in our life, Lord God, that as we offer that to you and that, that, that space is created, Lord God, that it is immediately filled, Lord God, with your love and with your presence. God, we thank you. All the other religions, Lord God, in this world do not offer a, a living and holy God, a God that came to earth in the simplest of forms so that he could grow and become a man to go to the cross and to be, to be crucified on that cross in such a manner, Lord, that he did not deserve, but instead to bear the weight of our sin and the price. Lord, we thank you that you are a God that demonstrated your love in that way and who loves us that much. And God, I thank you for each person in this place and that your word, Lord God, has, has landed on good soil this morning. So now, Lord, we just ask that you would be with us and continue to walk with us the remainder of our time here as we worship you in Jesus' name, amen.